1: The Toronto Police Services Board is about to vote on how and when officers will collect data about the race of citizens they stop, arrest, and use force against. This is the result of a report by the Ontario Human Rights Commission. Now, doing this was once considered a highly divisive prospect because of concerns that statistics could be used to criminalize the black community or other Racial groups. But now the idea is to use these statistics in the opposite way to show that these groups may be targeted. Uh, so there are a lot of controversy. There is a lot of controversy around this. And first, we are going to Renu Mandani, who is the Chief Commissioner of the Ontario Human Rights Commission. Uh, Renu, Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Libby. So um, this is the result of a report that showed that uh, people from racial minorities are targeted by police, correct?
2: Well, the findings in our interim report are part of our inquiry into racial discrimination by the Toronto police. And what we found uh, at at a general level is that Black people are more likely to have police use force against them that results in serious injury or death. And the rates of uh, disparity were analyzed by our expert, Dr. Scott Wortley, and he found that the um, disparities were quite significant, especially as the use of force became more serious. And it culminated in a finding that um, black people were nearly 20 times more likely to be involved in a fatal police shooting.
1: Uh, Okay. Uh, Now, uh, again, you know, historically speaking, when the idea of using race-based statistics came up, people would think this would lead to racial discrimination as opposed to alleviating it.
2: Well, I think what's really interesting is that um, there are actually decades of reports that point to race-based data as the foundation for combating racial profiling, this goes back at least 30 years to the Claire Lewis report on race relations and policing that was released in 1989. So um, certainly there are perspectives who um, question the the you know the value of race-based data collection, but um, mostly that has actually come from uh, police services and police associations rather than from the community itself. The community has been quite consistent over decades um, about the need to collect race-based data on police-civilian encounters.
1: Okay, and uh, so what kind of reaction are you getting from police? Well, what I think is um, really amazing is that this is
2: a policy that the Toronto Police Services Board has been developing in consultation with racialized community members, the commission, and the service. So um, the draft policy actually has the support of um, all of those groups. um, And so it really is positioned to be a win-win for both the community
1: and uh, the police. Okay. Uh, So say you start collecting this data... And it shows what you expect it to show, um, which is that uh, racial minorities are targeted by police. What happens then? So I think um, there's a lot of different
2: ways that data can be used. I think the first thing that's very important is that the data needs to be analyzed in the context of understanding the lived experiences of racialized communities. So... When you analyze what does this data mean, it has to take into account what communities are telling you their concerns are in relation to policing. But once you have this data, I think it can lead to a couple of things. First of all, it can trigger an early warning system so that the police start to understand the types of interactions that may be raising concerns of discrimination. Secondly, the data can be used by the board to hold the service accountable Um, for abiding by its policies in relation to um, human rights and equity, can also be used by the service to hold particular officers accountable if we see that certain officers um, have stops or questions or arrests or use of force incidents that are inconsistent with um, the broader group. And finally, um, what we've seen, for example, in a recent case out of the Supreme Court called Regina versus Lee, Um, This data can be very helpful for courts and tribunals to understand the systemic uh, landscape when they're considering individual claims of racial profiling or racial discrimination.
1: Okay. Renu Mandani, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Right now, we want to get the perspective of the Toronto Police Association, and so uh, we are bringing in Mike McCormick. Hello, Mike.
3: Hey, Libby. How are you?
1: Fine. How are you?
3: I'm well, thanks. Uh
1: what is your perspective on this? Well, you know, again,
3: like data collection it, it can be a critical tool identifying problems, developing solutions, um as long as it's done in an appropriate and way and, and effective police response.
1: Uh-huh. I mean, um Generally, or I won't say generally, historically, a lot of people would have argued that uh, collecting this type of data can actually have the opposite effect.
3: Yeah, and this is the, my bigger, biggest concern. The, first of all, you can't just collect one source of data. And if that they are going to do um, data collection, that it should be based on, um, It should. it should be based on um, all, um, sort of, uh, data. It can't just be one silo to say, okay, the people that we arrest or whatever. So if you're gonna, if you're gonna collect the data, then the data should be, uh, including data on suspects, arrests, victims, complainants to help identify and understand victimization as it relates to all demographics. The problem that I have is that they're saying, okay, well, we'll, we'll collect racially uh, based data but only in a silo of police interacting that's the the first issue that and who we arrest I, that only tells one piece of a, a larger story so if you're going to collect racially based data and you want to have an accurate portrayal of what's going on or an understanding so you can look at uh looking at racial disparities uh, in policing i think we need to understand the factors that contribute to that So you'd have to collect racially based data on everything from, like I say, the victims to the suspects to the people we arrest.
1: Uh, Do you worry that uh, if the statistics bear out what the Human Rights Commission uh, thinks it will show is that there is discrimination, that it may lead to certain changes that may make your job more difficult?
3: Well, again, you know, I, I I think that when we look at it in the totality and, and working and policing, and you know, who are the victims? What is the victimization? Why are certain um, demographics being uh, understanding the rate of victimization within those demographics? I think if you want to look at it, that you should look at it. Uh, like I said, across the board. So I think that, like to your point. The problem that I have whenever we're talking about statistics is that they can be manipulated and present a picture, and it's the matter of interpretation, of the proper interpretation uh, of those statistics. So, yes, I am, I'm concerned that the statistics, if you did it in the way that they're proposing, that one silo, saying, okay, well, we disproportionately arrest a certain group of uh, of people, racialized people, um, that doesn't tell the complete story. So, yeah, I am concerned that that to be skewed uh, without looking at, at it with the broader lens.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I kind of find a bit of a contradiction. So on the one hand, we've seen uh, some movement on the whole guns and gangs thing. And right. the one thing everyone says, which seems to come from a fairly liberal perspective, is, uh, you know, you have to stop this. It's, it's a matter of giving people something else to do. They these things happen in communities uh, that are have poverty as a problem. Uh you need more after school programs. So it sort of seems to acknowledge that there is a bigger problem with some minorities, not because they're a minority, but because of their economic and other circumstances. And this kind of uh flies in the face of that. I'm,
3: yeah. Yeah, and I I think you hit the nail on right on the head. Uh, You know, working in uh, you know uh, at-risk communities and and stuff like that, um, most of my career, what I saw is the socioeconomic uh, uh, indicators were the you know the number one indicators that led to violence and criminality. Then the, the hopelessness, the lack of opportunity, those were the things that really drove people towards you know, that type of behavior, getting into gangs. And when you see no way out and you have no value for your own life, um, because of those socioeconomic conditions, the inability to achieve or, or move up, um, then, of course, people are going to result to violence and, and being part of gangs. So, yeah, it, you know, that's where uh, I think, again, you know, uh, changing people's outlooks. If, if somebody doesn't have any meaning and doesn't value their lives, they're not going to value the lives of others. And, and that's what we've you've seen. And then we look at, you know, a lot of the, the victims and a lot of the people who are doing the shootings, how young they are. When you have a, a group of people that are saying, it's really surprising that we're going to reach 20 and that, that 20th birthday, I didn't know I'd be alive that long. I think that's a huge problem. But again, I think we have to, uh, you know, challenge the socioeconomic conditions that breed that environment. And that's where we need to put our effort. My concern, again, is that, you know, when when we're looking at these racially based stats of looking at the police, and I keep going back to this, I think when you look at it with the totality of everything, and you were to look at it with that broader lens, I think it will present a different picture. And going back to your point, my concern is that if you just do it with this one silo, then what are we trying to do here?
1: Let's take a call from Dan in Elwood. Hello, Dan. G'day. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, maybe I should apologize up front, but... uh...
3: I was. Uh, I heard that uh, racial minorities are 20% more likely to be killed by police, but are they maybe 40% more likely to be involved in crime, especially intense crime, and therefore maybe they're getting a good deal?
1: <laughs> uh, I'm not going to touch that one. Dan, uh, thanks for your call. I mean, uh, I, don't, I don't even know. How, I have no idea how to respond to something like that. Mike?
3: No, I, again, yeah. you know, I, I don't think that that type of comment yeah. helps uh, the debate at all. And what we're looking uh, at is, again, is to, whenever you start talking about any community or any group in broad strokes, uh, like that, 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 that's hugely problematic. What we have to look at is we have to look at who are the people who are doing the shootings. Why are they doing those shootings? What are the reasons that they're involved in this activity? And to, to categorize it and say, oh, a percentage of this, uh, racialized group or whatever, that, that paints everybody. Yeah, that's brush. exactly,
1: that's, that's exactly what, uh, you know, the people who are on the other side of this think could happen as a result. I mean, you know, when it comes to carting or something like that, I think we all have uh, friends who uh, have grown up being stopped for DWB, driving while black. And um, perhaps that's not happening anymore, but th- the first phase of this policy, which, if it's passed, would would uh, only require race to be recorded where an officer has to fill out a use of force form. So that's what you're saying is not enough,
3: right? And, and and again, what does that tell me? That tells me one small aspect. And not only does the officer have to fill out that form, but again, we we have you know rights and freedoms in this country, uh, and you know there's there's also a, a part of that policy is that the officer's perception of race and to me i'm going what does that mean you and i could be walking down the street and see somebody and perceive that person to be totally different or what is that person are they south asian are they whatever that is how would you know and now we're putting perceived race so what does that data tell me and the second piece as, as to what you're saying is that if oh you well, do they have that, to ask them sorry
1: do they have to ask them what race they are
3: well, again, that's what we have to walk through. And then, if again, you know, whether a police officer should be asked. Him. And then when the police officer does that, there's also a portion where they say, well, what's the perceived race? How does that help in, in gathering accurate data? And like I said from the beginning of this, if you want to do it, you should do it right across the board. Get an accurate picture so that we can look at items of victimization, as I said, related to demographics. What's happening to say that? You Know as and that's a problem where that, that last caller just put well 20% of this and they quote these numbers without having an understanding of what the broader interaction
1: is. Um, exactly. You know, we uh, carding has been abolished. Do you think that has made the situation better?
3: Well, it. Again, you know, I have a way different view and Justice Tulloch did an amazing paper for anybody who read it on, uh, and, um, and uh, policy and procedure around street checks, which are a valuable uh, tool for us as investigators and police officers when it's done in a way that is lawful and respectful of people's rights. So I, I think that the whole issue around carding or whatever, um we need to have legitimacy to do our job and we get the legitimacy through the community. So I think that you know it's changed the way that we interact uh, with people and but the broader perspective that I have, having worked in the communities and stuff like that is that um, I'm more concerned about the lack of intelligence and stuff that we can gather. So if we're not going to use that as a resource that information gathering, uh, street checks or whatever, then you have to embed officers uh, into the communities. To get that type of intelligence, to build the relationships, and that's a long-term commitment. I'd look at uh, street checks as a shortcut, maybe, and that's now, we're not doing that, so we need to have the resources, and when we don't have the resources, we end up, uh, what we've been saying, seeing for the last four years, a huge increase in uh, shootings and people uh, who are victims of shootings in the city, and it's unacceptable, no matter who uh, or when it happens.
1: Assuming this goes through, how would it change on a day-to-day level the practice of your officers?
3: Well, you know, again, you know, the concern from us as an association, uh, Libya as we spoke about in the beginning, and from our officers' perspective, is, you know, w- you know, our officers are like anybody else are out there doing uh, a job. They're humans, and I believe. We have the best, everybody who's probably in a police service says it, but I do believe we are the best police service. Our officers are very dedicated. My concern is that they're very skeptical skeptical because lately, like, officers have been demonized and policing has been demonized. The concern is, could these stats be interpreted in a way that is not accurate, that doesn't present an accurate picture, that shows police officers, and they're going to get dumped on again and say, here we go again.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, do you view this as a product of uh, political correctness or something that comes out of, uh, you know, some real situations? I, I think, like anything
3: else, there's all kinds of different aspects to it. I think that that is a, a piece of it, political correctness. I think that there's ways of looking at it. So I think that there's a little bit of everything. But again, my concern is that when you start going to just one aspect to try to fulfill an agenda like to say, okay, we're going to now prove that all police officers are racist or whatever, there's a disproportionate amount of uh, a racialized group being stopped without looking and saying, okay, why don't we look at the whole picture here, look at victimization, look at who the suspects, look at who the complainants are, look at you know, what are the police, what is actually going? I don't think we're ever going to fix it until we can look at it with a broader lens. So I support a broader lens approach, but I uh, surely do not support a a sort of myopic view on one silo of a bigger picture.
1: Okay, we've uh, got to wrap things up. What would you like to leave us with on this? Well, I,
3: again, I, what I'd like to leave you with is that our officers do a difficult job uh, and a really good job each and every day. Um, something needs to be done to deal with the violence. And again, to look at it, uh, we don't have any problem looking at it in a holistic way. I think that we should all be very cautious when people are trying to fulfill an agenda or trying to paint a picture have an outcome and work, uh, predetermined outcome and trying to get a statistic to back that. I don't think that's helpful for anybody.
1: Okay. Mike McCormick from the Toronto Police Association. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thanks and take care.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.